welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey everybody, my name is Micah. Welcome to you. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Um, glad that you are here. Uh, in case you are not aware, uh, we are in Lent, my friends. Uh, this is the Lenten season, and last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and we will be having Lenten gatherings on Wednesday nights all through Lent, all the way up to Easter. And um, last week, Dan said to me, um, so how many people should we prepare for on, on Ash Wednesday? And I said, I don't know, maybe like 100? And there were like 175 people here on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, so... Yeah, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Well done on that one, Micah. So they ordered pizza uh, after there were like hundreds, a uh, hundred people downstairs trying to eat, and um, we ate through all the chicken and carrots quite quickly, so they ordered pizza after that. So if you want a realistic number, um, ask my wife, not me. Um, but uh, so welcome to you. Glad you're here. I want you to, if you could, imagine a scenario with me. So you'll have to use your, uh, your imagination on this one, but if you could, imagine a, a school, an elementary school in an urban city, pick your urban city, uh, sort of in the, in the core, the urban core, and imagine a group of kids who are, uh, they're smart, they're, 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 uh, they're sharp kids, and they get together and they decide that they are going to put this little plan together to secure some snacks at the school from the lunch lady. You know, Lila the lunch lady, that was our lunch lady in my elementary school. Classic, you know, lunch lady hair, the whole deal, Lila. You can all imagine who I'm speaking of, right? So they decide to put this plan together to secure some extra snacks from the lunch ladies. And uh, so they, they execute this flawlessly and there's, you know, the securing of the snacks and there's the transporting of the snacks and then the storing of the snacks. And it comes to the attention of the lunch ladies that in fact, there are, there's food that's missing. Otis Spunkmeyer cookies, they're being taken. Uh, the Cheetos, uh, every once in a while a bag of carrots. Uh, and they're, maybe they've miscounted, right? Maybe they've miscounted. So they let another week go by, and sure enough, this little operation keeps happening at the school. And these kids are securing these snacks, securing the snacks. And so they gather again, and they're like, we're not miscounting. Like, there are people who are taking extra food, uh, and they realize that it's happening, like, on Fridays most. And so they decide to put some extra security measures in place and uh, some surveillance on the uh, possible suspects. And um, the kids, they adapt. I mean, these kids, are, they're, they're relentless. And so they adapt their strategy so, to, uh, so as to um, ups- uh, go under the radar, as it were, and they keep the operation rolling. And they're securing snacks after snacks after snacks, usually on Fridays. So finally, the lunch ladies get together, and they have this meeting. They're like, we have got to figure this out. And one lady just flips her lid. She's like, I cannot believe these kids are taking these food. Like, what kind of a home and parent would not teach their kid that, like, that's stealing? They're horrible, awful kids. And one lady says, well, that's maybe one way to think about it. But maybe another way to think about it is, like, these kids are really hungry. I tell you that story this morning, and I embellish a few of the uh, uh, historical facts for the sake of entertainment, but the storyline is exactly true, and it's how and why the Sheridan story began. Um, Some friends of ours in Minneapolis, were uh, they meet in a school, the Sheridan uh, Elementary School, and the pastor of the church went to the principal and said, so why, or, or what are some of the challenges that you're facing? And the principal said, well, kids are stealing food on Fridays because they don't have enough food on the weekends. 
And so if you didn't know, Awaken is participating in the Sheridan story. And this last week was the first week we were over there, if I'm not mistaken. Two weeks. We've been there two weeks now. See, I know everything that happens around here. <laughs> um, and so this church raised over like $15,000 to start this program at Linwood Monroe. And that's happening, which is fantastic. It's lovely. It's happening like right under the radar. Not a lot of people know about it, which is just how we like to do it in secret. Um, so if you are interested in that and participating in that, talk to Jenna. She oversees uh, all things missional at Awaken, both local and, and global. Um, so please talk to her about that. But uh, I tell you that story because there's really there's two ways of thinking about that, right? Like these are awful kids, terrible through and through. Or maybe they're just hungry. Um, sin is not so much the confirmation that you're evil and awful all the way through and through. But I would argue the, the confirmation that in fact you're hungry. That we're all hungry. That we have appetites that we misplace and misappropriate at times. We have affections that we put in the wrong direction. And we miss the mark, so to speak. This is the Hebrew word for sin, hate. means to miss the mark. So that's where I want to begin this morning. We're in a new series in Lent, and the series is uh, entitled Into the Wilderness. And so we're going to look at a number of people in the scriptures who have journeyed into the wilderness and asked some questions about their experience. Um, people like Jesus and Moses, Hagar, uh, Elijah, Jacob, the disciples. And our hope is to see the connections between wilderness experiences and this often traveled path and season of Lent in the Christian church. Uh, now here's the thing, guys. Nobody, ch like, nobody chooses the wilderness. Nobody, like, typically, people don't pray, God, like, bring a veil over my head so I can't see anything. Please, Lord, bring that to me. Like, we don't pray for the wilderness, Right? And yet, sometimes we find, ourselves, we find ourselves there. Lent is in some ways a self-imposed intentional journey to the wilderness. It has characteristics that are similar to those of wilderness experiences. And if you're anything like me, I grew up in a church that was evangelical. Uh, Catholic folks were folks we prayed for, along with the Lutherans, <laughs> Right? And so Lent was like completely not a part of my experience growing up. The church calendar, I couldn't even tell you when it started or what it, what it involved. I remember going to restaurants wondering like, dude, what happened to your forehead? Like not so much here or here, but like right here, you know? Did you run into a wall or something? No, just ashes. I, had no, I didn't even know what it was. So I hope that this experience um, for us as a community is one of education, but for me, I have found just profound uh, truth and depth and beauty in the church calendar and Lent in this season and this journey. And so we want to do that intentionally together. So uh, here's what I want to do today. I'm starting with this idea of hunger and desire and appetites, and I want to talk a little bit about Lent and what it means, and then wilderness and Jesus' Jesus' experience in the wilderness, and then we're going to kind of come full circle back to hunger and appetites. You with me? All right, so if you have your Bibles, by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Um, if there are any of you who like to read along with me uh, as I read the text, that's where we're going to be. I was told that I often say, if you could turn to Genesis chapter 3, and then I start reading. So if you want to read with me, Matthew 4, that's your warning, all right? That's your warning. Uh, so first of all, the spirit of Lent. What is Lent really about? Uh, Lent comes from a Latin word, quadregzima, and that's a translate, translation from a Greek word that basically means 40th. 
And what we're doing is remembering or commemorating the 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness, which we'll read in Matthew 4. Uh, it begins on Ash Wednesday, and it goes all the way through Holy Saturday, which is the Saturday before Easter. Now, if you were to look at a calendar, you would notice that that's actually 46 days. And if you take out the Sundays in Lent, which are feast days or Sabbath, you have 40 days of Lent. And actually, traditionally in Lent, if you were abstaining from something or if you're fasting from something, you, would not, you wouldn't be held to your fast on feast days, Shabbat, because Sabbath is about richness and fullness. It's not about grieving or mourning or fasting, but it's about celebrating the things that God's given. So you're, you sort of, you get a pass on feast days. If you didn't know that uh, and you were fasting from something, I'll let you decide if you want to take a break on feast days or not. Totally up to you, right? I do. I take, so yesterday was our feast day, and if you saw my Facebook post, I, 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 I took one um, Sabbath, um, uh, what's the word, freedom, I guess you could say, on my feast day last night. I'll, there's more about that later. That's a little cryptic, I recognize. Stick <laughs> with me. It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, but Lent is traditionally marked by a couple of practices in the church, right? So there's fasting, um, there's praying, and then there's what was called almsgiving or serving others. So there's justice towards God, fasting, justice towards ourselves, uh, fasting, and then justice towards others in almsgiving or serving. And really... Lent is about uh, preparation for Easter. Traditionally, in the history of the church, in early Christian church, those who were converted or who said yes to following this way of Jesus prepared themselves for baptism, which happened on Easter Sunday. So Easter Sunday was the celebration of resurrection of, of the Christ, but also these new lives that have been formed and changed in the church. And so they would be preparing for that as they walked through Lent. Now, here's my definition, my working definition of Lent that I want to kind of offer for our journey in this Lenten series. Lent is an intentional journey of stripping away, abstaining, or focusing for the purpose of seeing, hearing, and waking up to the work of God's Spirit in our lives. So it's this intentional choice that we make to abstain, focus, uh, rearrange parts of our life for the purpose of seeing something or hearing something uh, waking up to something that maybe we wouldn't have been able to see or hear or wake up to had we not. This is, by the way, why people um, of faith for eons uh, have gone on pilgrimages or retreats. If you've ever gone on a retreat before, where you intentionally leave your life and go somewhere else where typically it's a little slower, the pace is a little slower, it's often a little quieter. Uh, this is why we've been doing this as people of faith forever and ever and ever. Because there's something that happens to us when we intentionally remove ourselves from our daily lives. We're open. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, Ben, used to say, the seed gets cracked open a little bit. And, and, and God has uh, access in a different way than before. And so that's what we're trying to do in Lent. And, and gang, I would argue, like, we need this more than ever, amen, in our, in our world. So many of us go through our lives and walk like through our daily lives and our work, us asleep and kind of numb to even what we're feeling or what we desire or what we're hungry for. So Lent is an intentional uh, activity and action to say, I don't want to be numb. I want to be present. I want to wake up. I want to hear. I want to see. Open my eyes. Jesus says, to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, which assumes that seeing and hearing is not a given. 
So Lent is part of a practice that says, I want that. Open my eyes, God. Open my ears. I want to see. I want to hear. It's interesting. Jesus says one of his most common questions, right, is what do you want? Right? What, do you, what would you like me to do for you? Jesus often asks people that come to him. What do you want? If Jesus were to walk through these doors this morning, how many of us live, live anesthetized to even our own desire, our own, our own wants, our own hungers, to where if Jesus asked that question, we wouldn't even be able to answer. So Lent is this intentional journey for the purpose of seeing and hearing and experiencing really the depth, the gravity of love that we see on display at Easter. So this is Lent. Now, what is the wilderness and what do they have to do with one another? In the story of the scriptures, you find um, most of the main characters, honestly, Jesus, Abram, Moses, Hagar, Joseph, uh, Jacob, uh, uh, you've got Elijah and David, the disciples, John the Baptist, they all find themselves in the wilderness. Uh, a couple of words that are important as we understand wilderness. One is the actual word that's translated wilderness or desert. In Hebrew, it's the word midbad, right? Every Hebrew word kind of has the lowest common denominator. They go back to root words, and these root words will speak into the, the, the other words that, be, that come from them. So if you keep going down a click deeper to the root, you find that midbar comes from dibar, and that means to speak or spoke. So the word wilderness comes from the word which means to speak. And sure enough, if you follow the people who go into the wilderness in the scripture, you often find that they hear God's voice in a unique and powerful and often life-changing, transformative way. So this is what happens in the wilderness. There's something about the wilderness experience. For those of you who have been there, for those of you that are there, there's something about it that lends itself to hearing in a new way. Uh, one could argue that the wilderness has a way of like stripping away all that is extra, so only the essential remains. Naked and unashamed, as it were. Which means that the questions that we often ask in the wilderness are different. They have a quality to them. They, they, because all that's there is what's essential. And you sort of strip other things away, and it's you and God. And so the questions we ask, and often the provisions that we receive, and the experiences that we have, they have a qualitative difference to them. If you've been through a season like this, often when you look back on it, you can see with profound, in profound ways, oh, God was up to these things in my life. And God was working these things out, even unbeknownst to me at the time. One could argue there's no more fitting definition of the wilderness than Genesis 16. It reads this way. This is Hagar, and she says this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. Keep that slide up there if you could. Notice there's two questions that are asked, right? Where have you come from and where are you going? And what's the one that she answers? Where have you come from? What she does not answer is where are you going? I would argue that one of the ways you know you're in the wilderness is when you know where you've come from, but you don't know where you're going. This is when you lose your job unexpectedly. You know where you've come from, but you'd have no idea where you're going. This is that moment when you actually fail out of school and you have to call your parents. 
This is the moment when you find yourself in treatment for addiction. Or you know where you've come from, but you don't know with any sense of assurance what is ahead of you. This is the moment when you're found out in whatever con or scheme that you're running. And all is sort of stripped away, and there you stand with no defense. This is the moment when your kid moves out, your last kid moves out after 25 years of being a parent. And you have no idea what's next and who the person standing next to you is or where you're going together. This is the moment when the dream that has occupied so much of your heart and your mind has no future. That's the wilderness. It's when you stop running and you say, here I am, but you don't know where you're going. That's the wilderness. And that's the moment when Yahweh says, take off your shoes because the ground upon which you stand is holy. This is what Moses hears in the wilderness, right? And what happens in the wilderness is essential. It's, it's, everything is stripped away. And there are things that are forged and born and planted in you that can only be forged and born and planted in the wilderness. Is it possible that what we see on display in Jesus, in the resurrection, of the, uh, uh, what we see on display, right, the power over sin and darkness and evil... Is it possible that that was actually forged in Jesus and worked out in Jesus in the wilderness? Maybe you could say it differently, that for those of you who have people that you respect and who, have, who are people of character and of valor, that those character qualities were forged in the silence and isolation of wilderness experiences. This is what happens, I would argue, with Jesus. He's tested, he's tried, and what we see in the resurrection, that's a blessing for the whole world, begins in quiet and in silence and in alone. And this is the way it works in our hearts and in our lives. So we have Lent and we have wilderness. Lent is this intentional path that we walk because we know that some things must be won and forged and born in us that can only happen in the wilderness. And we choose it now because at some point, you won't choose it. It will choose you, and you will find yourself there. And the things we've learned in our choice of wilderness experience will serve us well when, it doesn't, when we don't choose it, but it chooses us. So let's take a look at Jesus. Let's look in the, back, the book of Matthew, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4, and I'll ask you to stand as we read the scriptures. This is intentional, by the way. Every week, if you've, if you've been here for a while and you wonder why do we do this, because we want to honor the fact that these are divine words given to us by, the, by the, the divine, by God. We value them. We want to hear them. So we posture ourselves in such a way. right? We want our bodies to line up with our hearts. And so we stand to say, speak to us, God. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning in this place, as we open our hearts and we Uh, to the degree that we can, intentionally move towards this Lenten journey. I pray that you would uh, strip away the things that distract us and that you would make yourself known to us in very real and powerful ways, that you would speak words that we need to hear, that you would offer yourself to us in a way that we need to experience, and that in the end, God, that you would, that things would be birthed in our hearts and in our lives. That can only be born in this experience of solitude and of silence with you. In the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, you may be seated. So Jesus' experience in the wilderness as we turn towards home here. Uh, It's important for me to say that there is a lot in this passage that I am not going to touch. I said to Jenna this last, this week, I feel like I'm ripping this verse off because it is just so beautiful and so dense and so well written. Um, And I'm not going to touch on a lot of it. Uh, But Matthew is telling the story of Jesus and his wilderness experience through the lens of Israel, right? Jesus is brought up out of the water of the baptism in in the, the river Jordan. He's led into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted in his relationship with God. Israel, likewise, was led out of Egypt and baptized in the Red Sea, comes out of the Red Sea, is led into the wilderness to wander for 40 years, and is tempted in the relationship with God over and over and over again. Furthermore, if you didn't think this connection is strong enough, Matthew, as he's retelling the Exodus story through Jesus... Jesus' response to all three temptations are from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and chapter 8. And they are smack dab in the middle of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. So Jesus' response is straight from Torah. He's essentially saying, what Israel couldn't do, I will do. Now, here's what I want to focus on uh, for the rest of our time. The temptations of Jesus in the wilderness are common human hungers. They're common human appetites. They're common human desires. They go all the way back to when we began writing down our history, and we can see that humans have been wrestling with these things from, the day, from day one. What this is not is like, like a sort of, uh, when this text is often preached, it's like three ways that you can also you know, uh, resist temptation. And I want to suggest that that's not what Matthew is doing. Matthew is saying, what you can't do, Jesus did for you. What Adam and Eve failed to do and what Israel failed to do, Jesus stands and does faithfully. And then says, come and follow me. And we will fail again and again and again. But there has been one, a new Adam, who stood in that place and who did not fail. Who did not fall. So let's not forget that. That's an important piece. And I want to suggest that hunger... Desire, appetite, is not the problem. As humans, we were born with, we were made with hungers and appetites and desires. It's part of who we are. They're not to be diminished or pushed down or ignored. In fact, this is what much of traditional religion will tell you about your appetites and your hunger and your desire. Abstain from it. Fast from it. Don't do it. 
I would argue the intent of Lenten fast is different, but often religion and spirituality says, put those things as far away from you as you can. Build a fence around them. Don't go near them. Think about what we tell our kids about sex. Don't do it at all cost. Whatever you feel, whatever appetite you have for intimacy or sexual uh, uh, touch, don't do it. Abstain from it until you get married, and then no holds bar. Rules are off. It's no wonder we have so many problems, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that we tell our kids, like, go for it, do anything you want. But I am suggesting we should have some more nuanced conversation about appetite and desire as it relates to sex, which will require emotionally healthy adults. Are you ready for that? Our hungers and appetites and desires are not the problem. How we engage them and what we do with them is where Adam and Eve fail, where Israel fails, and where Jesus succeeds on our behalf as the second Adam. So the three hungers Jesus faces, of course, are the hunger of flesh and body, right? The first temptation that, is, that the tempter offers is, if you're so hungry, then turn these stones into bread, right? Think Exodus. Water comes from the rock. Manna shows up as bread. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. Not only hearkening back to Torah, but as Dan said on Wednesday, what he has just heard from the Father, this is my son, whom I am pleased with. I live on those words. I live by those words. I trust in those things. And we experience all kinds of appetites and hungers in our body, the most basic of which is preservation. Right? Food, physical hunger. And Jesus' first test is his own body. The second test is a click deeper. Right? If it's physical, the next one is a little deeper. It's hunger for name and identity. And there's something that the tempter says that's, that's critical in understanding what he's getting at. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself from this tower and the angels will spare you. Right? If you are the son of God, did God really say? Does anybody remember that one? This is Genesis chapter 3. The same strategy shows up in the temptation. Did God really say that you, that essentially, that everything that you have is, or, or everything, everything you need is yours? Did God really say that? If you are the son of God, and Jesus' response is basically, in essence, I need not act stupidly so God can act spectacularly. <laughs> I don't need to do something dumb to illustrate God's spectacular care for me as the son of God. I don't need to test that. I trust that that's true. This is my son whom I love, whom I am pleased with. My name is secure. I am beloved. I am worthy of love and affection. And the third temptation is for hunger, or it's a hunger for power or significance, right? The last temp temptation that's offered is the kingdoms of the world. You can have everything you see if you bow a knee to me. Jesus responds, worship God and God alone. Think about the things that we sacrifice for power and significance and authority and influence. Sometimes family, our integrity. Jesus says, Listen, worship God and God alone. All three of these temptations that Jesus experiences in the wilderness, they're normal human desires, hungers, and appetites. Our bodies crave and desire certain things. Um, 
We long to have name and significance. We want to have power and influence. And none of those are inherently evil or bad. How we engage them and what we do with them is what I want to bring into the light afforded to us by this intentional Lenten wilderness experience. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Can you name it? Can you offer it? And can you trust God? Friends, I want to invite you as you begin this Lenten experience, or maybe you already have on Ash Wednesday and as you continue it, but maybe if you're just thinking about this, why would you intentionally abstain from something? Why would you intentionally not do something? What is this whole journey of Lent about? We began with hunger in these kids, and I want to end with hunger and our appetites. Can you name what you want? Can you give word and articulation to the deepest desires of your heart? Can you say out loud the thing you are passionate for? And often that's a very vulnerable place to be, is it not? I want a companion to, to go through this life with. I want a job that taps into my passions because I feel fulfilled in that. I want a child. Can you name your desire? Can you name your hunger? Can you name what you want? And often there's a, there's, a, there's a surface version of that, and then there's the question behind the question, right? I want this thing because what I really want is this. And so Lent is an invitation to begin the process of stopping and naming what you desire, what you're hungry for. And then can you offer it? This is the ask that God says, here I am, Hineni, I'm here for you. Will you offer it to me? God says to Adam and Eve, you have everything that you need in me, I promise. So when we feel hungry, when we experience desire and appetite, can we offer that to God? Can we offer our sexuality to God in a healthy way where we recognize it as a gift and not something to be avoided and put a fence around, but to name it? and offer it to the, the one who gave it to us. And then trust. Did God really say? This is, the, this is Genesis 3 all over again. Will you trust that everything you need, everything I need, God gives freely with open hands. God is not holding out. Can you name it? Will you offer it? And can you trust that God will provide it? So I'm fasting from alcohol during Lent this year. And for me, um, this is a church where we would say that you are free to participate in alcohol if you should so choose. The scriptures are pretty clear that this is a freedom in Christ issue. Unless community or your brother or sister is at stake. And then you set your own personal freedoms at the door for the sake of community and relationship. Right? This is how freedoms work. It's not for you. It's actually for your friends. And so, I've chosen to abstain from this one thing in my life. 
that I participate in freely and I enjoy a good cocktail or a glass of wine with friends and with a meal. And for me, as I have dug down a little bit deeper, when I come home and I want a cocktail or I want a drink, it's just like a pause, a moment to say, oh, I want that. Why? That's what Lent is for, to get you to the place where you say, I want that. Why? And for me, it's not about being drunk or hungover. I hate being hungover. It's awful. It's like the worst thing in the world. I really like the taste, and it distracts me. If I'm being totally honest, it's a distraction for me often. And so this has just been part of my process. And I offer that to you as a community of people that I'm in, in care of and am leading in some ways. Not to draw attention, but to say, this is one way this is working out for me. I have something else that I'm doing in private that I will not be sharing with you so that my reward is in heaven and not here. How do you like that? <laughs> right? <laughs> but some of these things need to be done in secret because it's not about telling. It's not about sharing. It's about what's forged in silence and in secret, right? And so I want to invite you this morning as you think about what a journey through Lent could be and what it could look like. As Jesus is tempted by the tempter, everything that is offered is normal. Hunger and appetite and desire, totally normal. But what will you do with those hungers? How will you respond to them? Can you name them? Will you offer them to God? And trust that in God, everything you need is offered with open hands. So, before the wilderness finds you, would you find it and go on this journey with us? Let's pray together. God, this morning, as we together gather in this place and we want to turn our hearts toward the wilderness, we want to turn our hearts towards a Lenten experience, which will require something of us, so that we can hear, see, experience you, maybe more clearly, maybe differently. And so God, on this, this topic of what we want, what we desire, what we hunger for, I pray that in the next moment of silence, that you would speak very clearly to our hearts, that you would maybe offer a way forward for us, and that you would invite us to name, to offer to you, and to trust the deepest desires and passions, the longings, the hungers of our souls. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. I think the job of the pastor and the leader in the church is to focus the people and then get out of the way. You all sound fine without us. Would you stand for a benediction as we close? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift, uh-oh. I've forgotten it. Somebody help me out. 
something about what? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And that is one of my worst fears. Every time I get up here to do that, I'm like, don't forget it. You know this. You've practiced it a hundred times. Don't forget it. <laughs> Grace and peace. The Lord loves you. Go build the church, people. Get out of here. <laughs> Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.